Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast is a Christ-centered podcast established in 2019 and hosted weekly by Pastor Chris Busher. Addressing a host of topics such as the Great Commission, Christian discipleship, and often featuring interviews with special guests who are experts in their field. The views and events expressed on this podcast and all related materials belong solely to their author and not necessarily to the author's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. While all attempts are made to present accurate information, some information may become outdated over time. Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast makes every attempt to timely update any and all such information. Without further delay, here's another powerful episode of Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dallas Montague, and it's great to be back here in the studio tonight. It's a wonderful evening here in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and it's been a great day. It's really just been an incredible day. And so today I have in the studio a special guest, Paul Cummins. He is an author, a Christian journeyman of 45 years. He has worked at Teen Challenge and has been a full-time leader and pastor in Australia. Before we get to the interview today, we're going to give a quick word to our sponsors. You're listening to the Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. We'll be right back after this quick word from our sponsors. Tired of no one seeing your Instagram posts? Have a product or service that's not getting the online attention it deserves? Ready to level up? At Busher's Social Media Marketing, we have just what you or your business have been looking for. Our team of dedicated professionals are ready to help you grow and engage your audience. No spam, no bots. Just good old-fashioned quality social media marketing. Visit Busher'sSMM.com today. Ready to jumpstart your career? Want an adventure of a lifetime? Uncle Sam's International is looking for language teachers who are highly motivated and have what it takes to grow and expand their thriving ESL school in Brazil. We need teachers for English, Spanish, Italian, and more. Visit Uncle Sam's International on Facebook today. Welcome to the studio today, Paul. It's nice to have you. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me. And how are you today? Not too bad. It's actually night here in Brazil, but it's it's oh, wonderful. It's oh. been a great day. <laughs> it's okay. Yes. Um, so I'm going to pray us in and then we can begin. Okay. Wonderful. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that you have given us. Thank you for these podcasts for our listeners today. Thank you for Paul joining us in the studio. And I just pray for just you to prepare our hearts, God, that we can hear what you have to say for us today, that we can leave transformed that we can be encouraged, that we can leave with hope that we didn't have before. And so I just pray over every listener today that they leave with hope. I just pray for Paul's words to be anointed and that our conversation will flow great and to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Paul, for the next 10 to 15 minutes, can you just share your Christian testimony with us, how you met God, why you're still a Christian today, just that type of testimony for us? Yes, that'd be lovely. That'd be lovely. Well, I wasn't someone who was brought up in a Christian household. There was some some bits of Christianity through my uh, childhood. With uh, we had scripture in the schools, and a, f- a mother's friend every year she used to buy me a Christian book, and I used to call them my Jesus books. And I had about seven or ten of these books, and I just I, I never read them. I, I kept them in a pile. They were precious to me for some reason as a child. I didn't understand why. And whenever I was sad, I was just going to sit with these books. And often I might look at the pictures, but I wasn't really much of a reader. So for some reason, the Lord had put that person there and this influence was there in my life. But I always called myself an atheist. I said I didn't believe in God. Um, so what happened was, it was quite unusual. I walked into my local club, which was a, a Catholic club. I wasn't a Catholic, but I actually worked behind the bar part-time in a, in a Catholic social club. So I went in the club, and this lady, the barmaid, uh, was walking out. She said, I'm going to the bingo. Now, if you don't know what bingo is, it's a gambling game where people go, they fill in numbers. If you win, you can win anything from just a few dollars to a few hundred dollars. So she's walking out the door. She says, I'm going to the bingo. And I said, well, uh, shall we go harvest? I'll give you half the ticket price, and uh, we'll share if you win anything. And she said, yes. Anyway, she won the jackpot on that night. And I got my share, which back in, this is back in the 70s, 
my uh, my amount was 150 pounds which would probably be about 400 pounds uh, 400 dollars american which was quite a uh, for me was quite a lot of money back then so given my way i thought money in my pocket i'm going to go on an adventure so i uh, decided to go to london which was about 200 miles away and i got the train to london and i had a very unusual experience on the train I'm sitting there on the train and we were living in a time of uh, the Irish Republican Army was at war with England and there, was, there would be bombs going off around England uh, from them, uh, explosions. And, and quite often on a train, people would leave a bag and you could not leave your bag around if you weren't there because it could be a bomb or an explosive device of some sort. So you, wow. you got, yeah, it was quite scary at the time. And, and you couldn't even use left luggage. You know, you leave your luggage somewhere at the airport, you leave it at the, the, the train station, you pick your luggage up later. That, that all closed down because people just could not leave their bags without them being there with it. So it was a very, very difficult time. But because of this, you would look up at the luggage rack and see what luggage was there. So if anyone got off the train, you'd make sure they took their bag with them. It was just something you, you were trained to do. You were, you were warned and encouraged to do this. So I'm looking up at the luggage rack, and amazingly, it looked like, uh, have you ever seen in those um, like uh, superhero movies where they, they punch a hole uh, through steel and it, it all opens up and there's a broken steel? Yeah, well, well, I looked up and it was as if a hole had been punched in the roof of the train car. And I'm looking up and I can see blue sky. And from one side, it was like a stage, from one side came someone dressing long flowing clothing and from the other side someone came in dressing long flowing clothing and they began to fight so i've got this i'm looking through yeah and I, and and this is this will sound even stranger is that i looked at it and then i looked away and looked back and then it was gone and i just thought oh and i just carried on my journey i wasn't thinking oh what was that oh that was spiritual oh god is speaking to me there was nothing i just looked at it and it was like it was it sort of spoke to me but on a level I wasn't really acknowledging. So anyway, I just carried on my journey and I got to I got to London and uh, had my first night in London, found some uh, some way to stay. And then I thought, right, I am now going uh, to have a great time. Young man, money in my pocket. Okay, so uh, first of all, I've got to find uh, a pornographic movie. I've got to find a movie place like that. I want to see something like that and I'll take it from there. So. I explored London a bit and I found the movie house that I thought would be suitable. I went in, I'm sitting there in the seat and the movie comes on. And something strange happened to me. As I'm sitting there, I started to feel funny on the inside. And when I say funny, I started to feel dirty. I started to feel something on the inside I'd never felt before. And I started to look, and I looked around at other people to see if, if they were sort of, what, what were they doing? And they, to be honest, they all seem to be leaning towards the screen with their eyes popping out and their tongues hanging out. It, they, and for me, I just felt, I just felt really unclean. And and I, and I couldn't really concentrate on the movie. I just felt unclean. I, and I walked out. And as I walked out, uh, as you know, a movie is, is dark inside and you open the doors and you walk into the light. Well, the, the foyer that I walked into had all light bulbs all around the edge. So it was very bright. And as I walked out, it was like the light hit me. And it was like the light shone inside of me and, and showed I, I just felt dirty on the inside. Anyway, I walked out the cinema and I'm in, and almost in a daze, just wondering what is happening. And I walked down the steps and there's a girl there. She's got a piece of paper in her hand. And she said, Jesus loves you and I love you too. So even though I've been feeling extremely dirty and feeling terrible when I walked into the light, as soon as this girl says, Jesus loves you and I love you too, I really picked up on the I love you too bit and thought, I'm on. This is great. I've got, uh, this chick's just come from nowhere. This would be fun. I'm just thinking sex, you know, this would be wonderful. Anyway, she uh, she said, I said, you know, can we go for a drink or something? She said, no, I've got to catch the tube train home, but we have a club. It's called the Poor Boy Club. And you could, uh, I'll be there on Friday. You want to be there? I said, oh, sounds fantastic. Sounds great. So um, this was on Tuesday. Next day was Wednesday. Wednesday morning, I wakes up in my digs in my uh, where I'm staying, and uh, I thought, you know, maybe that girl could be there tonight. I was pretty keen, see. I thought, why wait till Friday? I'll, I'll go and find the place tonight. All I had was the address, so I spent most of the day trying to find this place, 
And uh, eventually I found it. It was, it was closed when I got there. I thought, oh, maybe they're not open tonight. So I um, went and had something to eat. And from where I was eating, I could see the front door, the entry area. And someone started opening the door and, and taking things in. I thought, oh, great, they're open. So I walked in the door, walks up the stairs. And the guy says to me, oh, we're just setting up. I said, oh, that's, a, that's all right. This girl said to come along here. And uh, uh, she'd be here on Friday night, but I thought I'd come tonight. And he said, oh, she's not here tonight, but this other girl's here. And I thought, this is great. If one girl's not there, they're going to give, they're gonna, <laughs> this is I know, they're gonna <laughs> yeah. give you another one. And he said, would you like to uh, sit and have a chat yeah. with her? And I said, well, yeah. <laughs> and, I, I, you know, I really was thinking, wow, who are these people? But this, this seems good. Anyway, I sat down with this girl and she said, do you believe in God? And I thought, oh, no. I thought, oh, what answer am I going to give? Because, you know, I want to do well with this girl. But if I give the wrong answers, does that, you know, does it turn her away from me? So I said, no, well, no, not really. But, but I said, look, I've got this. And in my pocket, and again, this sounds weird for someone who said the world is atheist. I had what was the smallest New Testament in the world. It was about one inch square. And I'd swapped it with a girl at school for some pencils or something. So I'd had it in my pocket for years. And it was my good luck charm. So whenever I was in trouble, I would grab hold of this little New Testament in my pocket. No one knew about it. I'd hold it and I'd just make a wish sort of thing, you know, get me out of this trouble sort of thing. And things would change. But I never thought it was God. It was like a good luck charm. Uh, and I know in some ways that doesn't make sense, but it's, that's where my head was at. So I thought I will impress this girl. She's asking me about that. I said, well, look, I've actually got, look at that. I said, the smallest New Testament in the world. And she didn't seem a bit interested. She said, oh, you're not so right. She said, but, but do, you, do, you, do you know God? I'm thinking, uh, well, no, no, I'm answering. So she's asking me questions. And I'm thinking, who asked me so many questions? But she started asking me, uh, do you think you've ever done anything wrong? And at this point, you know, I'm thinking, this is going to be serious. This last night, I had this experience of feeling dirty on the inside. Uh, so there's things rushing through my head. And I just was saying, oh, well, yeah, you know, I've done things wrong. Yeah, everyone's done things wrong. She said, well, you know that Jesus can forgive you for all the wrong things you've done. I said, oh, yeah. She says, yeah, because the those wrong things you've done have separated you from God. So I said, oh, okay. And she said, uh, uh, would you like to pray and tell Jesus you're sorry for the things you've done wrong and ask Jesus to come and live in your heart? So I don't even know why, I'll be honest, I don't even know why I said yes. But I said, yes, I will. Oh, no, no, oh, sorry, sorry, I'm skipping there. At first I said, I don't know how to pray. And I thought, that I'm, I'm, I'm out of this. That, that's my out. I don't know how to pray. She said, that's all right. I thought, oh, no, she's got an answer for everything, this girl. She said, that's all right. I'll mm -hmm. pray and you just, you just use my, you just follow my words, say them after me. <laughs> but, you know, say them, really mean them when you say them. So I thought, oh, I can't get out of this. I said, oh, okay. Okay, I'll do that. So it basically went along these lines. Uh, dear God, dear God, uh, I believe that you exist. I believe that you exist. And I, I, I must just throw this in here. When she's saying, let's bow our heads and pray, I put my head down. And I, this is what I, I said. I said, God, I don't know why I'm doing it. I don't even know if I believe that you're there, but I'm doing it anyway. I actually said that to God. And the funny thing is, how can I talk to a God who I don't believe is there? <laughs> so, so I'm actually saying I don't believe he's there, but I'm actually talking to him to say I don't believe you're there. So there's, there was something spiritual happening that I don't understand myself, but that's the grace of God. Anyway, she just led me in prayer and uh, basically what we call the sinner's prayer. That uh, I, I just said I'm a sinner. Yes, I know I've done wrong things. I know I've sinned. Uh, I now understand that Jesus has died on the cross for that sin. And so, yes, I'll take my sin to the cross and, and accept that Jesus died for it. And and then and ask for forgiveness. Will you forgive me, Jesus, for my sins? Uh, and uh, I then ask, will Jesus come and live in my heart? And then she said, Amen. And I said, Amen. And I opened my eyes. And as soon as I said, Amen. Sorry, I'm getting, I get touched whenever I think about this. As soon as I said Amen, I got invaded by God. It was my heart felt like my chest had expanded 10 times its size. I felt like my chest and my heart could explode. And I opened my eyes and this 
girl staring at me with a smile on her face. She was expecting something to happen. I could see she was expecting. And she said, Paul, Paul, what's happened? And I went to speak and I couldn't talk. It was like this. It was like a, a joy. It was like a, a fullness. It was like a, I, 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 I tried to talk and then I started laughing. As I tried to talk, I couldn't get the words out. The joy, the joy was just just welling up inside me. She said, "Look, come on, come come over here." So we took a walk into this next room, and uh, who I discovered was their this guy was their leader. And she said, uh, "Tell tell Peter what's just happened for you." And I'd open my mouth, and I couldn't get any words out. I'd just start laughing, and I just had this joy and this, and I just wanted to uh, hug people and be with people, and it was just really. The Lord just filled my life immediately. Um, I know that over the years, there's different debates about when people receive the Holy Spirit, when they don't receive the Holy Spirit, what sort of prayer, etc., etc., and even controversy over that. But all I can say is that as when I confessed my sin and asked Jesus to forgive me and accept me on the completed works of the cross and invited me to my heart, he just came in. He just came in and it just was the total experience, and nothing, nothing has surpassed that in my life. Nothing has surpassed the awareness of uh, the acceptance of God and his His forgiveness, unconditional, unconditional. Um, it's always took me over the years. One thing I reflect on, it just happens down again, is that he never said, oh, Paul, get this, do this a bit better or do that a bit better and then I'll come into your life. And yeah, I hear what you're saying. That's a good prayer, Paul, but you know, you really need to improve your life a bit. No, he took me exactly as I was there and then. And that still blows me away when I think about that every day, every time I think about it. Yeah. So from there, yeah. okay, well, I didn't know who these people were. I love those so testimonies. I went back on the Friday. Yeah, this, go ahead. Keep going. other girl was there on the Friday. So oh, I just must mention that night when I got saved, when I'm going home, I'm standing on the train station and I'm like got this big smile on my face. And I'm actually saying, Lord, you have to stop me looking like this. People think I'm a nutcase. Everyone's looking at me. They're all, all serious and all going to and from work and whatever they're doing. And I'm just sitting here smiling away. So I felt really out of place, but in a really cool sort of a way, fantastic sort of a way. Uh, so I went back to this uh, poor boy club, it was called, on the Friday. And this other girl was there, and I told her what happened. She was very excited about that. And then she just went off talking to other people, so <laughs> didn't lead anywhere. And, and look, nothing happened with the girls there. It was just good, clean, wholesome, talking about Jesus. Uh, wonderful experience. But I did discover, and I, and I just want to say that part, especially about the good, wholesome, talking about Jesus, because I did discover this night that these people were the children of God and the children of God actually had a bad reputation in England they'd say they split up families they'd say they'd use flirty fishing use sex and that to try and win people to God now if any of that stuff happened I don't know the experience with me was they shared the gospel and they led me in the sinner's prayer and I found Jesus and it was the most I, I will be forever thankful that they did that and God used me that way however the next couple of days, I was moving out of a motel, a hotel. I was running out of money, and they said, come and live with us. So I moved into a, a squat at Hampstead Heath. There must have been about 20 of them there. And they had these bits of paper they gave out called more letters, and I went out for the day giving these out. But to cut a long story short, I was with them a couple of days, and they said, um, you can't stay with us any longer. You'll have to, you're not going to be allowed to stay. So, but... It's a funny thing. When I was there, I had, I realized after that, the Lord had instantly given me a, a gift of discernment. And, and I was discerning that there's something not quite right there, but I didn't know what it was uh, for me, for me to be a part of. And so it was like when they opened the Bible up, it was almost like I couldn't see. It was like I couldn't receive their teaching. So I'm guessing the Lord might have been protecting me or something. I'm not sure. Uh, when I left, uh, the, the guy who'd met me at the coffee shop on the night I got saved, Sammy, uh, he, um, he he seemed a bit upset I was leaving. And we actually had a hug, and it was really nice. I even kissed him on the neck or the cheek or something. And it was like I'd never, I never knew my father, so I'd never been close to a man. And it was really, again, just the love of Christ, just being able to hug a bloke and say, you know, 
Jesus loves you, I love you too, sort of thing. So my life was just starting to change. Uh, I had been changed by the Lord. However, when I went back to my hometown, 200 miles away, um, I had no Christian fellowship. I didn't know what to do. I thought about going to see the children of God in, in, a, in a city closer by, but believed that the Lord was showing me not to do that. Um, so I actually floundered uh, for quite a few years in my Christianity. However, all that time, I always had this thing, I know Jesus, I know I'm saved, and when I die, I'll go and be with Jesus. And to be quite honest, for the first two or three years of my Christianity, that's what I thought Christianity was all about. I, I had, I, I got no discipleship and uh, all those good things that we need as new baby Christians. Uh, so I had a very stumbling start to my Christianity, which um, uh, has actually ended up being a testimony to how God does not let go of us. But we'll probably find out more about that um, in the interview uh, where we talk about some other things. So that's basically my testimony. And, and, and just to mention, when I saw that um, on the train, when it looked like the, there was a punched hole and I could see these people uh, on either coming from either side and wrestling, the Lord showed me a few days later that that was uh, the devil, the devil's section and God's section wrestling over my, over my soul. They were wrestling over my soul in the heavenlies. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm just glad to say that God won. Mm. So, uh, forever, eternally, eternally. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Yeah. I love those testimonies that, yeah, that yeah. you're like, I did nothing other than just yeah. say yes to God Thank and you. he changed and everything from I mean, when I was yeah. a dirty person yeah. and now I'm clean. You know, I love that. Yeah. Like, I love that. That's awesome. That's so good. Fantastic. Pleasure. Yeah. Pleasure. Yeah. I think that'll definitely encourage some of our listeners for sure. Thank you for sharing your testimony with us. Yeah. And so that led you into writing a book. You That's talked about right. a yeah. few miracles yeah. throughout that, that testimony, but that led you into writing the book in the twinkling of an eye. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Okay. Transforming the heart one miracle at a time. Yeah. Well, Yes, as I said, I, my Christian formation was was not really happening. I've been born again. I knew that when I die, I go to be with Jesus. Um, when I was twenty two, I ended up coming to live in Australia. I come from. Uh, I was born in Sheffield in the UK, uh, South Yorkshire, and I moved uh, to Australia uh, in the mid seventies. And when I came to Australia, I then I'd, I'd lost all my security. So, in the sense of I had no family home to to go back to. Uh, I had to, you know, do my own cooking and washing. And if I had difficult times, I only had myself to to try my line. I had no real friends. It was all new to me. So it was a very challenging time. But the Lord would just step into my life and just touch me uh, in ways that was quite profound and miraculous. For example, um, one day I was, I'd been drinking and I was, I didn't realize it, but I started to drink often and regularly. And I always had beer in the refrigerator. And this particular night, I had too much to drink, and I slept uh, on the, uh, I think you call it a sofa, lounge, we call it a sofa, uh, instead of going to bed. And I woke up at about 6 or 7 in the morning. I'm not quite sure what time it was. And the sun was pouring. Mm -hmm. It was a hot Queensland day. It was all sticky and humid. And I... The, cat, uh, the sofa that I'd sat on and slept on was vinyl, so I was almost stuck to it trying to get myself up. And I sat there and I thought, I need a drink. And I'd never done this before. I never woke up in the morning and said, I need a drink. I've just got to have a beer. I've got to have a beer to start the day. And I could see the fridge from where I was. I could see the fridge in the, in the kitchen. And I got up, peeled myself off the, the sofa, and I took a one or two or three steps towards the fridge. And once I'm taking a step, as I'm taking it, the Lord said, if you have a drink now, you'll become an alcoholic. And I just I just stopped dead. I mean, I wasn't walking close with God. I'm just believing I'm going to die, and then the Lord will, I'll be with him. And so, so he just spoke into my heart. And I just stood there, and I was stunned. I was like, what do I do? I... I, I so I just, I thought, well, having a beer is a bad idea. <laughs> so I, I went and just sat back on, on the sofa and I just prayed. 
And from that prayer, I lost the desire. From there on in, whatever alcohol was filling in my life, I lost the desire to need alcohol to fill it. I, I, I suddenly became that I don't need it. Uh, I might have a glass of wine if I'm out for dinner or something like that. I might have a beer with a friend now and again. But really, whatever alcohol offers, I don't need it. I didn't need it anymore after that. Uh, it was just wonderful. And for another thing, uh, so that was an inside miracle after praying. It changed my heart towards alcohol and whatever that was needed in my heart, God was starting to fill that instead. I used to have a very foul, foul, foul mouth. I was brought up with a great uncle who took my mum in. My mum was a single parent, unmarried mother with nowhere to go. And we're always thankful that great uncle Colin took her in. But he was um, mentally disabled from the First World War through his injuries. And he would have incredible fits of anger and temper with the foulest mouth you would ever hear. Um, and as a child, I grew up with that regularly. And it, it, it wasn't always going off and exploding, but it, it was like a time bomb living in the house. And so I learned to swear uh, better than most people would, would ever. I would know words that some swearers wouldn't even know, probably from the from the war and the, the trenches. And he'd say awful things to my mother. I used to break my heart. And so I inherited this, this foul mouth. And even my friends, when I was a teenager, my friends would say, Paul, what, why are you using that language? It doesn't suit you, Paul. It doesn't suit why you. They couldn't even understand it was that bad. I'd just go into these fits with them. So one day, at this point in my Christian walk, I'm, you know, the Lord's working on different things. And I'm at work. And at work, I had to sit, I had to sit behind this sort of a barrier. I was a storeman, uh, like giving out. Uh, mechanical parts. People would come with a piece of paper saying, we want this, we want this, and I would get the parts for them and give them out. And I couldn't always see who came to the uh, to the counter. So when someone rang the bell, I would swear, because I didn't want to get up out of my chair. So this particular day, the nurse came. And the nurse very, very rarely came. She was like the nurse for all, all the workshops, if anyone, uh, you know, cut themselves or anything. And this nurse was a Christian, and I know that, and she'd been trying to help me. And the bell rang, and I was just about to swear, and it was as if someone grabbed my tongue. It was as if my tongue got grabbed, and as if my and my heart got grabbed. And 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 I couldn't, I couldn't swear, I couldn't get anything out. And I, I walked around the corner, and there's the nurse. I thought, oh, if I said what I said to all the other guys, oh, what would she have done? That would oh, that would have been terrible. So I, I gave her what she needed. I gave her the uh, the supplies that she wanted. I went back to my um, to my seat. I stood next to my seat. I had a four drawer uh, filing cabinet, and I just as as I stood there, I, I could see that my my foul mouth was not just a foul mouth; it was a foul heart. My heart, when 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 my tongue was grabbed, it was like my heart was grabbed, and it was like I could see now that what was coming out of my mouth is what was living in my heart. And I just put my head on the filing cabinet. I didn't care who was around or anything, and I just prayed. And I just confessed this sin of this foul heart and uh, asked the Lord to remove it and, and to forgive me, for remove it, cleanse me. I just have a prayer that worked really well for me. It was very simple, this. I'd say, Lord, this area of my heart is foul. Can you come in to that? area of my heart, that swearing area, and can you clean it out, Lord, and refill that area with your Holy Spirit? And I found that a very effective prayer over the years, that they're actually dedicating that particular area of my heart to God and asking him to do something with that specific area of my heart. Anyway, I said amen. That would have been around about 1977, 1978, and I have not swore since. The Lord just took it away just there and then that he, he grabbed my tongue he grabbed my heart he led me to repentance on that area and that it, it was a miracle on the inside of my heart so they're the type of things where god has confronted me it's not like i've gone to god oh please stop me swearing please stop me drinking oh i'm a bad christian oh i'm terrible no i didn't even know those things were bad and then god 
jumps into my life, grabs hold of me and, says, and, and, and changes it and transforms me. So they're the types of miracles uh, that God would do. You know, and the deliverance would come in the twinkling of an eye. We got rid of my swearing. One prayer, gone. And it was the twinkling of an eye. And and I know, I, I, and I feel terrible for some people who, who go for years and years with something like that. And they're praying and they're praying. My friend, smoking. I smoke cigarettes. I smoke three packs of cigarettes a day. And my friend would meet for prayer. And he said, let's pray to stop smoking. I said, I don't care. I smoke. It's all right. He said, I want to stop smoking. So I'll pray for you. You pray for me. One night we have this prayer. We finished with the prayer to stop smoking. I go to my car. I, got, I used to roll my own cigarettes by this stage because I couldn't afford to buy uh, pre-made cigarettes. It was getting too expensive, three packs a day. So I rolled my cigarette because I had to drive my friend home, put it in my mouth, and the Lord said to me, you don't smoke anymore. I said, oh, yeah, right, Lord, right, Lord, yeah, sure. Put it in the ashtray. Looked at. In fact, it was so, so strong. that It was an internal voice, but I looked at my friend, John, next to me, as if he might have heard it. And he was, he was just fiddling with something. Anyway, I took him home, picked the cigarette up to drive home. You don't smoke anymore. I said, all right, Lord, I'll, I'll humor you with this one. Put it in the ashtray. Got back to my, uh, my flat, my unit. Picked up the cigarette, my last cigarette of the day. You don't smoke anymore. Okay, Lord, you're fine. Put it down. Next morning when I got up, I'd always start the day with a cigarette. Picked it up. You don't smoke anymore. So to cut a long story short, I walked around for three days with my tobacco and this cigarette in my hand. Every time I put it in my mouth, every time the Lord said, you don't smoke anymore. And after three days, I picked it up. He said, you don't smoke anymore. And I just took the, got the cigarette, got the packet of tobacco, threw it in the rubbish bin. I said, Lord, you're right. So he just took away my smoking. No, no withdrawal symptoms, nothing like that. He just said, you don't smoke anymore. And having uh, ex done a uh, certificate in addiction studies, I dis discovered years later that nicotine is one of the most addictive drugs and hardest drugs uh, to get free from for people. Uh, and I, I didn't have, you know, I, again, I'm sorry for Christians who struggle with these things, but for me it was, again, it changed my heart. It just did something inside me. I didn't need to smoke anymore. So they're the types of miracles I mean, just internal miracles, and my, and my life gets transformed because of them. Yeah. And so would you say this book is, is like a testimonial book? Yes. Yes, it's really a testimony. It's a, I would call it a testimony of, of God pursuing someone and not giving up on someone. That's And, and that's why I think it, it's, it's well worth... We all meet people who say, uh, you know, I don't know where to go. God's not there. I can't hear from God. I can't do this. Uh, or... Worse still, I'm not doing enough, so God doesn't like me because I don't do what this person does. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I can't lead the worship. I can't preach. I can't do this. I can't do that. So God doesn't really want much to do with me. And for me, my testimony is that as, as, as much as a failure as I was, God never gave up. He just never gave up. He still never gives up. And he just kept pursuing me, even when I wasn't expecting it. Uh, so for me, the book's a testimony of, of God not giving up on us. Yeah, I think we can all take something from from that type of book. Is like, yes, God still pursues us. And something I love to say today yeah. is that I'm not here today because I chose God, but he continued to choose me every single day. Because Excellent. I've, I've been a Christian for a couple of years, you know, and yeah. I still make mistakes. I still fall yeah. short. I still choose sin sometimes, you know. Yeah. And yeah. that's just, I mean, I'm working towards being better, of course, but like he still chooses me that's why i'm here yeah and yeah i think we can all gain something from from reading your book yeah yeah I, i'd like to believe that yeah yeah and so what would you be what would you say your favorite part of the book would be your favorite part i've got two favorite parts um one i've already shared the night i became born again um Mm -hmm. Meeting Jesus for the first mm -hmm. time. Sorry, I'm getting emotional again when I think about it. Meeting Jesus for the first time. But I had another, of all the deliverances and things that happened within the book, the night, well, I'll, I'll, I'll just share a little bit what happened. I, I never knew my father. I met my father when I was about three or four. He visited one night. And then he walked out of the house 
And I ran, I ran to the door to say goodbye. And all I saw was, was black and darkness. And that it was like that. That darkness infected my life uh, in relation to my father and having a good male model, a role model. So I struggled with not having a father through all my years. And I met these Christians, the nurse I mentioned before, she was at, um, at the, the place I worked, and there was three or four other Christians there. And we started getting together at lunchtime and reading the Bible and talking about God and Jesus. And I went to them one day and I said, God wants us to get together. He's got something to say. Well, they said, what? And, and again, this, this is going to sound weird, I know, but I said, well, I don't know. But I just know he wants us to get together. He's got something to say. They said, oh, well, okay. So, so we planned a time to get together. So it ended up being at the nurse's house. So there's, there's myself, there's the nurse, there's the uh, uh, two guys and their partners. So we're sitting there and, and with a bit of in a, a living room and with a little bit of polite conversation going on. And then one of the guys turns to me and says, okay, so why are we here? Now, I, I've still not been given anything as why we're here exactly. So he says, why are we here? And I went to open my mouth and I burst into tears just out of nowhere. And I just started crying and crying and crying. Next thing I know, they're asking me, someone would ask me a question, but it was, it wasn't as if they were asking me the question. It was as if God was asking me the question. Uh, their words were God's words. Their words were questions I need to answer. Their words were touching touching on deep things. And so I'm still, um, you know, what's the word? I'm bubbling away, crying and that. And between all that, uh, the questions related to my father and not having a father. And all these questions, with, with every answer to a question, it's like I've got some, oh, I feel a little bit better. And then I start crying again. Then another question would come. And I'd answer that question and talk about that. And then I'd feel like, oh, gee, that feels better. And then I start crying again. So I am not quite sure how long this went for. It could have been 10 minutes. It could have been an hour. I, I really lost sense of time. But at the end of it, at the end of it, I received and understood that God was my father. And it was like everything that my biological father robbed from the point of fatherhood towards me, God, my father, had replaced. And not only had he replaced the things I'd lost, he, he, God himself, was my father. And I can only say that I, ever since that night, I've had that spiritual understanding that God is my father. And one of the things I love to tell people, I hear people praying and they say, oh God, dear God, God this, God that. And that's fine, but I love it to teach people God is your father. He loves to be called father. He loves to be known as your father. Uh, so that was meeting Jesus and meeting God as my father. And it was funny that that night I remember going home. I think I touched on this in the book. I remember going home that night and going to pray. And as I started to pray, I said, Father. And I've never said that before. Um, so they're, they're the two most important parts for me. Uh, Jesus is Lord and, and Father God. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that. I think the next thing I want to jump into is you have had experience working at Teen Challenge, correct? Very true. Yes. Do you just want to talk a little bit about the Teen Challenge program? Okay, great. And just, yeah, um, go, go for it. My experience with Teen Challenge, I began working at Teen Challenge as a volunteer. Uh, I became a uh, part-time worker. I then became a full-time worker. Uh, and when I left Teen Challenge, I was, was the second in charge of Teen Challenge in uh, in Brisbane. So Brisbane's in Australia. Uh, so Teen Challenge, Brisbane, as it was uh, written. Uh, my experience was not in the rehab side of Teen Challenge. I, I, I go to the rehab sometimes. My wife actually worked in the rehab. Um, she wasn't my wife then, but eventually my wife. Uh, so I knew my wife from those days. 
Uh, I worked in what we called Hebron House, uh, and that was a youth shelter. And it was mainly a co youth accommodation for the ages between 13 and 17. And overnight, uh, initially it was overnight up to three days, and it, then it became overnight up to uh, four weeks. Uh, so the, the idea was that well, what would happen, the, there would be a trauma uh, within within the family uh, and sometimes that trauma would be abuse. I mean, the first night I, I was a volunteer, it was a, a young girl uh, who had been sexually abused by her father. So you can imagine the trauma that that is for a young girl. Uh, so... We, You'd have anything from that to some kids who were just at home and just being um, what people would call rebellious and uh, not fitting in the household. Uh, but what I learned, especially in, in working there, was that the complexity of, of for, for our youth and the complexity of family and, and what it means to bring children up in a certain way because it seems so often that... Uh, children were getting to the age of like 13 or 14 and finally thinking, I can now escape. I'm now big enough to escape. So it wasn't just that they were being rebellious kids. It's because they've had years of abuse, a lot of them, and years of bad parenting, and they need to get away. From, and and, and they're, they're longing to get away from it, some of them. Uh, and they just run away or do whatever they do. So I found the, the shelter. I actually feel I learned a lot more through the kids than what they probably learned through me in, in the bigger picture. And I've actually written another book about this. Uh, I, I think the, the working title is um, uh, A Sheltered Life, and uh, it's going to be uh, published early next year, as far as I know. It's been accepted for publication. But in there, I talk about the lessons I learned that God showed me. But, but not just, for example, we, we had one night where a couple of guys came home drunk to the shelter, a couple of 15-year-old guys came home to him. And I'm like saying, Lord, how stupid are these kids? I mean, look at them. Look, they're in here. They know they can get kicked out for coming home drunk. And the Lord would say to me, remember that time when you were 15, Paul, and you got drunk two nights in a row? Oh, and, and Paul, where would you have been if you hadn't had the support of people around you at that time? Where might you have ended up? And the Lord would teach me how not to be judgmental. How to, how to understand the situations and the mindset and the heart behind these kids. It wasn't just black and white. Uh, another another um, couple came in, brother and sister. I met the brother, a uh, well-dressed guy, uh, very up to you, hi, nice to meet you, wonderful, wanting to be friends and all this. And, I, and then I met his sister. And she was just like depressed, big bags under her eyes. I've never seen them as bad. You call them bags under the eyes in, in America, black under the eyes for lack of sleep. Uh, yeah, prescription drugs. And then and yes, he's, yep. he's, on, he's buying toys, the other one. And I'm thinking, I know how to fix this up. She's got to get off drugs. And he has got to stop buying toys and look after his money. But, you see, and that's often we can easily, easily look. Mm -hmm. This is the type of lessons I was learning. You can look from the outside and see those things. And, yeah, that solves the problem. No, the problem was a brother and sister had been forced by the parents to perform sexual acts for the parents. So here you've got young kids living in that type of a household. And how many years that had been going on, I don't know. But so to fix up that type of a problem is not just a case of getting someone off drugs and not just a case of helping them to look after their money. The issues were so often so very, very deep-seated. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was a privilege to be able to serve some of these kids, to be honest. It was just a privilege. And the pain that some of them are living with, they're just horrendous, really, the, the, what they've been put up with. So I found the Teen Challenge provided love and support. We'd have Some of them will go to another Teen Challenge home so they get some longer-term accommodation so that they could get more support and love over a longer period. Some might actually go into the drug rehab and uh, and go through the Teen Challenge program there. Um, so a um, very good uh, reputation Teen Challenge in, in, uh, in, I was going to say in Brisbane, but in Australia, Australia-wide, and the programs are still running. It's, yeah, so wonderful. Yeah. There's a lot of Teen Challenge programs around the world, yeah. Yeah, I myself have went through the Teen Challenge program. It does work, definitely. And so if you guys have heard of Teen Challenge before, um, if you if you know anyone who needs help, like Teen Challenge, it's a 
Christian discipleship program. And it's not just about getting clean. It's about encountering Jesus Christ. And so, yeah, that's, that's how I met Jesus was through Teen Challenge. Yeah. Teen Challenge is an amazing place. Oh, that's lovely. That's great. Like you said, it has the, no, it's just good to hear that. Again, uh, you know, I've seen the, the kids from the shelter become Christians, and if Teen Challenge wasn't there, uh, they might not have. So, and it's great to hear that happen for you too. There's mm-hmm. a connection there between us. That's lovely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If there's yeah, if there's anything else you want to share? Yeah. Okay. Well, free. I was just thinking about in the twinkling of an eye, uh, and it's just exciting that God, that even if we're waiting for years and years for something to change, we don't don't give up because God can change in a twinkling of an eye. That's all it takes. It, it can happen. The deliverance, whatever it might be, can just happen in that twinkling of an eye. And Christian history is covered with testimonies of people right down to the last minute. Uh, the Lord waits to the last minute. I mean, I think it was actually David Wilkinson from Teen Challenge. He needed some money for this uh, for a center uh, back in New York. I think it was in the early days. And and the Lord, they're waiting and they're waiting. It's right down to the last hour and virtually the last minute. I think, and the check came or whatever it was. And 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 David said to him. Why didn't we get this before? And the Lord said, "We didn't need it till now." <laughs> so, you know, it's the twinkling of an eye. The Lord's the Lord's timing is always perfect. It will it will deliver on time. Uh, so, so I, look. So I wrote the book because over the years, I counsel a lot of people. And when I would counsel people, because I was a full time, I've been a full time pastor as well, uh, and, and that's t- touched on in the book. Uh, so, when I would counsel people the Lord will remind me of my stories and what he'd done in my life at times. And as I'm counseling, I'll be praying to the Lord and saying, well, shall I share this story, Lord? Or you just give me some insight and how to counsel them. And, and, and at times I would share my stories. And people would find those stories very helpful. So then I started putting these stories, writing little snippet stories, writing them down. And those little stories that I would share in counseling, actually be in, in event, in, in uh, the bigger picture, became the book really, connecting them all together and realizing, oh, there's a story here that uh, could be worthwhile to people. But the exciting thing, and I, and I like to mention this because last October, um, I was pondering a bit of a crossroads in my life and I could go you know, this way or that way. And as I'm committing that to the Lord, the Lord just said to me, Paul, finish the book, write that book, Finish it, because if you get involved in other things, you're not going to finish the book. So that was last October. So uh, October 2018. And now, uh, well, in fact, September 2019, the book had been published by Whip and Stop. So within 12 months, I'd finished the book and we'd done it. But but I believe it was according to the will of God, because he said, Paul, finish that book. Or you're not going to get it finished if you don't focus on that book and get it done. So the, the encouragement was there from the Lord to, to finish it. Uh, and also, I think the book can be helpful for people because it covers, it's not just like I get saved and start a, a ministry, I get saved and everything's rosy. I get saved and things actually get worse in my life. Fantastic to start with, but coming to Australia, and, and I also, be, I had deeper issues that led to depression later on in life, and the Lord had to deal with that. So I'd like to think the book's a benefit to others because it's covering like about a 30, 35 year period and there's ups and downs and people can see that the Christian life is just not, not just flying high all the time. It's actually, it's got highs and lows, but God is there whether you're high and God is there when you're low and God is there when you're in between, but he never gives up and he still is with us and he will interject. So I think that's important. I think nowadays it's almost like a, there can be like a takeaway Christianity. Everything you, you, you get Jesus and everything's fine from there on. Uh, and, and I think that's bad because because everything's not fine because the evil one will try and trip us up and uh, and the flesh will still try and trip us up and the world will try and trip us up and uh, give us problems. But Jesus is always bigger than the problems. Uh, but So yeah, looking at that journey over a number of years, I think could be helpful for people. Yeah. Well, thanks again for being a part of this podcast today, Paul. Pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Just to to end this podcast out, if there's any way that these people can reach you, any way that our listeners can find you, find your book, uh, how can they how can they reach you? Okay, that's oh, thank you for asking that. Uh, well, because of the book, I've put up uh, as a, a Facebook page, and if you go for Twinkling, Twinkling One Hundred One, 
on Facebook, you'll find you should find my page. Also, uh, I've got a I've put a website up where the books, all the links to how to get the book are there, and a few more details on it's paulcummings.com.au, AU for Australia. So Paul Cummings, that's with an S on the end, .com.au. And I've also had a little book, a little website that I've had for years. It's got some devotional ebooks and it's got some uh, a few little um, uh, Christian classics on there, just just downloadable PDFs uh, that I sell. And it's called SeekingJesus.com. That's Seeking, S-E-E-K-I-N-G, Jesus.com. And uh, there's some little downloadable items there. But you do, there's some free things, I think, and some you've got to pay for. Uh, but they're quite cheap. So they're, they're the best ways to get me. But the paulcummings.com.au will be the main one. Sounds great. I'll add that link in as oh, well. Fantastic. If you guys want to, to click on that link in the podcast. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah. All right. If you could just pray us out. Yeah. Thank you. Father God, I want to thank you, Father, for this opportunity today. Thank you for Dallas. Thank you for his ministry. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you found him and that you've called him and that uh, he knows Jesus. He knows you. He knows your Holy Spirit. Father, I just ask that you... Uh, Continue to bless Dallas in this work and that you use this work to glorify you. So, Lord, we just uh, commit what we've talked about today and ask, Lord, that you will use it for your kingdom's sake. If the thing that's been said you don't want in there, Lord, as uh, Dallas edits, then uh, give him wisdom with that, Lord. But, Lord, we just ask that this podcast, through this, that your will will be done, Father, and people will be drawn to Jesus and get to know you as Father and get to receive your Holy Spirit. So we commit it all to you, Lord, ask for your will to be done and ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've just listened to the Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast with your host, Pastor Chris Busher. Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast was recorded live in studio with final editing made before uploading. Subscribe today to Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. For more fantastic daily content, visit Pastor Chris Busher online via Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Don't miss the next episode on Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast.